you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Yes, it does. And I'm Brian in for Melissa Lee once again. And this is Fast Money. Welcome, everybody. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, a big bet on the little guys. Small caps. One top Wall Street strategist tells us where he is still finding opportunity as stocks hit all-time highs. Mall Madness, the one chart that could tell the real story about the health of retail, and it will surprise you. And later on... We are serving up your call of the day with a side of fries. We're sinking our teeth into a big buy call on a burger joint. You know, there it is. It's your mystery chart. We're going to get to that, but we start with a major developing story on both Uber and Lyft. Both stocks shooting higher after a big court win in California. Let's get right now to Deirdre Bosa with more. Deirdre. Brian, until just a few hours ago, it looked as though California riders and drivers would wake up tomorrow to a ride-sharing blackout. The court blinked, though, granting Uber and Lyft an extension to comply with the order that forces them to classify drivers as employees and thus letting them continue to operate as they always have with drivers as independent contractors despite new regulation. Now, it is a win for Uber and Lyft in the short term, and it suggests that their threats to shut down service in California over the last week worked. Just hours before the extension, Lyft told its drivers and riders it would be suspending services at midnight because the change would necessitate an overhaul of their entire business model and wasn't a switch that they could flip overnight. In reality, the writing has been on the wall for years, and AB5 became law in January. So Uber and Lyft used a familiar tactic they've used in other markets like Austin to avoid new legislation public opinion. It also came at a time when California is already facing enormous pressures, wildfires, power outages, and a recession. So it's possible that the court decided that now wasn't a good time to limit transportation options. Now, the ride-sharing companies also had less to lose at this moment by shutting down, with bookings already under pressure amid the pandemic. The fight, though, Brian and traders, is far from over. The, the get the extension, to get the extension, rather, Uber and Lyft's CEOs, they must submit sworn testimony that they will comply with the law and make drivers employees if they lose the appeal and the November ballot issue, and that brings the decision right to voters. So if that happens and they are forced to comply with AB5, they may have lost the war, so to speak, Brian, and this latest win will not matter. Back to you. Okay, we got a lot of questions here, Deirdre. I got to get to this. You know, Uber says and Lyft says we can't exist with that model as employees. The cost structure just doesn't work. A lot of the public online says, oh, it's cruel and unusual. You don't make them employees. You want to basically use these guys for their cars and then discard them. What do the drivers think? Has anybody asked them? That's a very good question, but there's no easy answer to that. Um, a lot of drivers will tell you that they don't want to become employees because they use the income as secondary income. They have other jobs. There is a large group of drivers that says that, but when you consider the 
group of drivers that do do this full time. They work their evenings and weekends. They take risks amid the pandemic. Those are the ones um, that really Uber and Lyft have built their platforms on the back of, and they do not enjoy any of the benefits like protections um, and unemployment insurance and all of those things that other employees do get. So this is a very, very tricky issue, Brian. What the drivers want, they will get a chance mm -hmm. to vote on this in November. So we'll see then the vote, the drivers along with the riders, we'll see then what happens. Far from certain. Back to you. Yeah, yeah, and I've seen a lot of drivers. I'm sure you have too as well, Debo, which is basically they go back and forth between the two, Lyft or Uber, depending on what's more busy. I guess if you're an employee, you're not going to be able to do that. So, dear Drabosa, thank you very much. You know, Guy Adami, you and I and most of us are old enough to remember the old town car system in New York City, right? You call and schedule an Alpine or a Utah or a Carmel, whatever it is, and the guy comes up and you get in your car. If these are employees, I'm not advocating either way, Without this model, Uber basically becomes a taxi or a town car company. Is that an investable concept? Probably not. I think they would, it, it, they would say exactly that as well. And I think you, you asked the right question. What do the drivers think? Listen, if forced to do this, both Uber and Lyft uh, have, have to hire 50,000 employees each to sort of fall under the guidelines, which is probably the existential risk. To the company, but they got, I mean, I hate to use this term, while well, user, they, you know, stay of execution, as it turns out. And they played a high game stakes to chicken that right now they're winning, uh, but this could flip in their face in November. That said, and obviously I'm not a politician, but it seems to me, given the question you asked, Brian, maybe there's some hybrid model that can work uh, where you don't have to hire everybody, maybe just hire the people that want to be full time employees. I don't know. With that said, uh, we play a game, would you rather? In this case, I would rather lift. I think it trades back to the 39 level we saw in June, early June. If you look at a lot of the analysts, price targets range anywhere from 31 to 49. Last quarter was marginal at best. I don't think that's really the, the point here. And I think the stock with a little bit of a tailwind now yeah. can get back to those levels. Uh, you know, Karen, I guess for many of our audience that maybe doesn't live in New York or around New York, they maybe don't understand what we're talking about, the town car model. Yeah, there's taxis, but a lot of us sort of shuttle around. If you don't own a car with these with these town cars, you know, it used to be the Lincoln Continental, right? That that model was tough. I mean, just price competition. The drivers are 14, 15-hour days. Really difficult model to make money in. If this California ruling sticks and maybe goes national, who knows if it will, that model seems like it wouldn't justify a stock or a stock price where both Uber or Lyft are right now, or, or is that just crazy? No, I, th I agree with you. Plus, you know, I don't know what would the, you know, Uber has been very price competitive versus, say, taxis in New York City. If, if this were to pass, let's say, in New York, it's not there right now, but if this were, you know, to really become an issue everywhere, how much more expensive would those rides get? And would that have a very uh, diminishing effect on demand? So I, I agree with you. I think, I mean, this is a very big deal, obviously. To me, it makes them both somewhat uninvestable. I can't really gauge what the court would do. And I, I don't even know if that matters necessarily if just a few weeks later, however the state chooses to vote on it, that outcome, I guess, will be the permanent or semi-permanent outcome and so I don't know how to gauge that. And, and so to have it out there, oh, there's going to be potentially a material change in their business model. Um, it makes and they're not cheap to begin with. Makes me afraid. Then you could say, well, Uber, you can diversify. They have the um, Uber Eats. But I don't know if that will face the same issues that 
Uber the um, transportation part faces. So to me, I own neither of them right now. Um, I feel bad for the drivers, I mean, for the ones who want to be not employees. I don't know how you do the hybrid. Does, a, does the same guy or, or same man or woman who is mm -hmm. an employee charge the same price for a drive that an uh, independent contractor does? I don't know how it would work. Well, it's not one it's not one size fits all for the state labor laws in California. And yet and yet that's what they're trying here. And I don't live in California. Uh, I'm pretty aware it's probably the most onerous uh, employer state to do business. And so this is the ultimate battleground. Um, but this is not I don't think um, a, a target necessarily on Uber and Lyft. This is about bringing the gig economy under state labor laws. And therefore, it's a very big deal uh, for a lot of people. So uh, I think you have a case here where if you look at both of these companies have traded over the last three months with with an expectation of this, you know, this 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 battleground. Um, I, I think this is, uh, you know, largely uh, where these stocks have to go from here. But I, I you know, look, I, I thought Uber had found some base uh, around 33. And I said that a week ago, the stock was basically down 18 percent in 10 days after those earnings. Uh, I think with the acquisition of Postmates, I do think Uber Eats is a very interesting part of their business, even if it's low margin, because at this point uh, they are close to dominating that business. And I think that acquisition was actually quite attractive. So um, what do you do with the stocks? You don't have to do anything. But I, I will say that you know, obviously you make the most money when things seem the darkest. The fact that they were going to flick the light switch off, um, I don't think the 6 or 7% rally in today's market from you know, 1 to 3 p.m., uh, ultimately the news became formal at 2.54, stocks rallied well before that, is what you're playing for. Uh, I think you're playing for a lot more, and I don't think you have to chase these stocks today. I, I think you could actually, Brian, Russell, I, don't, I don't really make that, I don't make that analogy to the Alpine model. You have a bunch of technology you have a lot more of the app involved than we did back then when I first started on Wall Street almost 30 years ago. Uh, it's a lot different. I think they're investable into the vote. So I take the other side of it. And the would you rather I go Uber versus Lyft? And are they investable? Yes. Into that vote. So I think you have a large headway or horizon into that vote where both of these names are viable. And I don't think California cascades through the rest of the country. Yeah, and maybe you're making a good bull case, which is if that law sticks, Steve Grasso, maybe they do have to double or triple their rates, but that enables them to pay health insurance for their drivers. The business shrinks, but they actually make money. Let's not forget, Uber has lost $15 billion in the last two years, bigger than the market cap of many companies. Let's bring in more reaction now and bring in Luke Ventures founder, Gene Munster, who's been listening to our dialogue. And Gene, we remind our viewers that Uber's original name was Uber Taxi. I mean, ultimately, they're, they're talking about maybe going back to a taxi style model if that California law stuck, at least in that state. Is that a business worth $55 billion? No, both of these companies, Brian, are in a tight spot. And Yes, there was a reprieve today. This topic is not over, obviously, with this vote coming November 3rd and California's uh, some of their influence that they can have on other states. And kind of you put all of this together and think about if these changes to employees across the country call it a 15 percent increase, which is effectively their profit margins. And I, I wanna, do want to caution the voters of California and also uh, some of the lawmakers I I'm, I'm, uh, do not want to. Uh, politicize any of this, but uh, one aspect, what would the drivers want? These Most of these drivers use both apps, both Lyft and Uber. 
And if they are employees, they will be likely restricted from jumping from app to app. That would uh, likely cut down at some of their rides, maybe cut down at what they would be paid on an hourly basis, perhaps. So I don't think that the the uh, the, the right uh, path here is as clear for the, the drivers as simply to become an employee. Yeah. A second but, uh, but major factor to Karen's, here. To, let me jump in here, Gene, because to Karen's point, she talked about a, a hybrid model. Listen, uh, Derek Cosmer, Shahi, that team, they're smart people. OK, they've got a lot of technology to Steve's point. Is there some kind of model that maybe we or the market has not thought of yet based on what they have, that even if the California law stuck, which is, by the way, is one-eighth of the American economy, there's some idea of the business that we haven't just thought of yet, which they could prosper off of. There is, and it's called autonomy. And that ultimately could create some forced adoption. If this just model just simply doesn't work, you're going to see these companies push uh, even harder into autonomous systems, simply eliminating the drivers. One of the unique things about Lyft and Uber, it's a two-sided marketplace. They have drivers and riders. In an autonomous world, you don't need riders, so that would leave Lyft and Uber. Essentially, their key asset is a brand uh, around movement. Uh, I think that that is an asset. I don't know if it's worth $55 billion, but what I really take away from this is the next uh, few years are going to be ups and downs related to this regulation, related to how we're going to be exiting the pandemic. But longer term, we know where this is going, uh, that cars should be autonomous for safety reasons and productivity reasons. And ultimately, Lyft and Uber's business over the next decade are going to be fully self-driving. And this uh, topic that we are talking about today is going to be uh, largely irrelevant. Gene, you, we played a little Would You Rather before, and I hate to do the hypothetical, but just bear with me a second. Assuming the vote uh, in November goes the way of Uber and Lyft. They're very different companies now uh, for a lot of different reasons. And under that scenario, who stands to benefit more, Uber or Lyft? So I'm in the Lyft camp uh, in part because I actually like their focus just on the U.S. I like their focus on the ride sharing. I think that the Eats business world has had a tremendous tailwind. I think that it gets progressively more competitive and they lose money, uh, tougher to make money in that business. And so uh, I appreciate you uh, putting that caveat, assuming they get through this uh, kind of this, this current intersection that they're navigating. But ultimately, I think if I had my choice, uh, I would put my money on Lyft. There's another X factor here. I think that there is uh, something subtle about Lyft's culture. I think it's just uh, more investor friendly culture. And ultimately, I think that that uh, that, that influences my view. Gene, let me ask you something. So you talk about the potential for ultimately not even needing any drivers. Does that make you very bullish on the model for when that period comes to pass? Because that's a huge part of the cost. So uh, this gets uh, uh, some nuances to it. And as I mentioned, there's a two-sided marketplace. That's what really makes Lyft and Uber special today. And one of the sides of the marketplace is under some pressure right now. That's what we're talking about, the driver side of this. But if we eliminate the driver's side, then you simply have a marketplace of trying to get, or not even a marketplace, just trying to get consumers to ride. That opens up new competitors. There's about six of them that are trying to get there. And to answer your question, Karen, I think that that option, the autonomy option, is a better option for Lyft and Uber than what they currently have with humans driving. I think for an investor, it's a better option, more profitable. But ultimately, it will attract other competition. I think the two best companies positioned within that would be like Google and their Waymo initiatives and also Tesla and how they're going to kind of uh, vector into the, the ride-hailing market. Gene Munster, Luke Ventures. Gene, always a pleasure to get your take there as well. A lot of questions around these companies. Uh, they did rally today, though. Gene, thank you very much. 
All right, now let's turn back to the broader market, shall we? Stocks ending higher across the board. The Nasdaq 100 adding another 1.4% to its coffers today. It is now up a stunning 31% this year. But if you think the big names may be getting big time played out, this one is for you. Because your next guest is still finding big opportunity in smaller caps. Bring in Chris Harvey of Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, good to have you back on. Listen, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. You know, earlier this summer, you called for a 10% rise in the overall market. It happened. A lot of people thought you were nuts. It worked out for you and your clients. So congratulations on that. Are you shifting that call for the broader markets to the smaller names? Yeah, uh, that's right. So our price target is 33.88. We're sitting right on top of that. And for us, we're not ready to leave the party just yet. So now it's about rotation. We're looking for areas where we can grab cyclicality, get more COVID beta. And when we talk about COVID beta, it's, it's stocks or issues that do better when COVID comes out. And the last thing we want, we want easy comps in the first half of next year. You can find all that in small caps. And so we're starting to rotate the portfolio away from our Uber cap bed that we've had for the last year, two years. And, and it's a walk, not run type situation, but we want to rotate we, we want to get more cyclicality in the portfolio, and we want to do it in a slow and methodical fashion. Because ultimately, we think in 12 months, or at least in 12 months, we're going to be in a much better place with regard to the economy. Well, I was going to say this is a pure economic call, is it well, not? Because, the, you know, the, the large cap stocks, they're in ETFs. They can get bought. There's a Fed aspect to it. We get it. Smaller cap stocks largely rely entirely on the American economy. So the American economy goes in the tank again I would imagine you got to revisit this call. Well, if the U.S. economy goes in a tank again, I think we have to revisit almost everything. Okay, it's not as if growth is really going to outperform in that that environment. Everything is going to get beaten up. And what we think is, we have a handle on COVID. Can it get worse? Absolutely, can get worse. But I think every day we get clo- one day closer to a vaccination. In addition to that, where we want to go is again, we want to go to the easy comps. We want to go to the places where numbers were slashed at the beginning of this year. And you don't need much of an economy or an economic improvement to see upward revision. And that's right across your small caps. That's across your cyclicals. That's in your places that haven't been picked over just yet, more your contrarian place. So, so it's Steve Grasso. So I have a question for you. I think you're spot on because I agree with you. So unfortunately, I, I am biased to this. How much of this do you think the rotation has been put off when you look at the Apple split and the Tesla split, it seems like everyone is rushing back into growth again and it put off that value rotation and it truly is a walk, not a run. Right. And Steve, I think you're right. And you've been around, well, we've both been around for a while. We've seen these kind of more excessive tops where frost starts to come in the marketplace and what's working continues to work. But that's not a good value. And again, if we're, we're looking ahead six to 12 months, we want to go where the market's going to go. And the market eventually is going to start rotating to economically sensitive names. It's going to want to start to price up things that, has, that have really easy comps in the first half of next year. Yeah, for the meantime, we're seeing the Uber caps work today, last couple of days. That, that's great. But if you look at small caps in the second half of this year, they're more or less trading in line with the S&P 500. And that's a positive sign. Mm-hmm. Granted, we still have a little Good bit of problem to, to work ourselves through. 
We're going to leave it there. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo Securities, making the call on small caps. Congrats on being right on the big macro call as well at the beginning of the summer, Chris. Welcome you back on anytime. Thank you very much, buddy. All right, so Tim, the small caps, Russell 2000, small cap 600, they ended down today, but they're up 16% over the last 90 days and outperforming the S&P 500. Do you agree or like Chris's call? Well, Chris's call, he used the term COVID beta. When I think COVID beta, I think ultimately, though, uh, you know, the, the momentum and essentially, you know, the, the, the move in stocks that goes along with an economy uh, that, that is struggling under the weight of COVID. I, I think, if anything, we have had this reopening trade. We have seen some companies and some cyclicals, industrials uh, have a, a pretty good run. I, I, I actually believe in some parts of the resources and materials trades. We talk about housing all the time. Um, big cap tech to me, is still going to outperform if we have COVID beta. Um, and, and ultimately, that's a case where if you look at it, we've had these rotation moments in the market for the last two months. Um, but since August 1st, supposedly big cap tech was dead. But, you know, the triple Qs, if you're playing them on an ETF or the NASDAQ 100, has outperformed the S&P by three and a half, basis, three and a half percentage points uh, in, in the last 20 days or, you know, 15 market days. So uh, I think you have to be careful to say it's time to rotate out of tech because right now uh, it will continue to be defensive. And these companies that we complain are most of the not only the performance, but the earnings of the S&P yeah. are most of the earnings of the S&P. Why would you run away? Yeah. Well, and amazing, too, is that if the current pace continued, Tim, and I don't know if it will, the NASDAQ 100 would end 2020 up 55-0 percent. Again, if, if the current already has been made. All yeah, right, it's, thanks, it's, Tim. Look, Coming up. Go ahead. All right, or not, I will take it away. Tesla, part of that story we just talked about. On a tear today, the stock blowing past another major milestone. Plus, maybe take your Tesla to the drive-thru for, you know, a $5 milkshake. One top Wall Street analyst making a big bet on the shack. We're calling into your call today when Fast Money returns. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla topping the tape today to the tune of 7% gains. And it busted out above 2000 bucks a share for the first time ever. And get this, certainly random, but I hopefully interesting. Tesla is now bigger than Walmart on a market cap basis. Walmart, by the way, a company whose sales are 2,000 times larger than Tesla. Now, Karen, I know it's just a stat. It's market cap. I get it. But man... What a move by Tesla. What do you make of it? Well, Walmart makes money and has for a long time. What makes Tesla, I guess, more exciting is that it's exciting to know whether they'll make a lot of cash flow or not. I don't know. This is crazy on the split. It's happening, I guess, on the 30, next week. Uh, it'll go X. I, obviously, the split is not a creation of real value, but if enough people perceive that it is, then okay, great, it is. I just, I, I mean, it's, it's in the stratosphere. I can't, I, I can't 
possibly touch this one here. Can't touch it here. Guy Adami. Listen, I'm not going to pretend I've been some raging bull. I haven't. I've said for a while that I don't necessarily understand it. But I will tell you that back in May, when at the time the stock was trading 700 and Elon Musk tweeted that the stock was, I'm paraphrasing, too expensive or overvalued or something to that effect, that sell-off lasted a day. And now we're three times higher. And yeah. I've been saying for a while, that tells you really all you need to know. Again, I'm not pretending I'm a raging bull. I'm not. And I'm not pretending that I understand it. But I do see what's going on. By the way, I got another stat for you here, guys. Courtesy of Andy Brenner, National Securities. Tesla's market cap is now bigger than VW, BMW, Daimler, Ferrari, Renault, Peugeot, Citroën, GM, Ford, Fiat, Honda, Mazda, Nissan, Aston Martin, Volvo, Polestar, Jaguar, and Range Rover combined. Wow. All right. Now to ye old call of the day. And that is Shake Shack, upped at Wedbush Securities. The analyst saying... Shaq's growth story has only gotten better since coronavirus began. More people are using fast food restaurants. Wedbush putting an outperform rating on the stock. Steve Grasso, you're long Shaq. You love their food. Your take on the call. <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. They've, they've been forced to invest in digital. And, you know, from Domino's experience with the app and with digital, all of these guys, all of the, the quick serve restaurants, should have been way ahead of this. But I think Corona, I agree, the, the COVID Corona environment has made them focus on where the growth areas will be. But this is a name that was only thought to thrive in city centers. Now you have them adding drive throughs and shack tracks and the ability for them to thrive outside city areas. So in theory, you should be able to grow faster than the pace that they once were growing at. And Brian, remember, everyone threw this stock out and the whole group out, so they overestimated what the downside was going to be. So Brian, the, the Wedbush call is simply based on average unit volume, and, and that growth is what you should be expecting. They are expecting also with the digital enhancements in a post-COVID uh, normalized 19 world. That's why you want to buy Shaq. There you go. Buy Shaq. They like the call. All right. Call of the day. Coming up, a slew of retail bankruptcies has grabbed the headlines over the last several months. But we are going to bring you one chart that shows maybe, maybe things are not as bad in retail as some may think. And later on, the CEO of a biotech stock that has captured the interest of newbie investors this year. We're going to chat with Cytokinetics' Robert Blum to find out what is next for his company, and that red-hot stock, Fast Money Back, right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, it turns out that some of the reports of the death of retail might just be greatly exaggerated. Hey, even Homer nods. Take a look at this chart from S&P Global Market Intelligence. It shows that foot traffic at malls and outlets here in the United States is largely back to pre-pandemic levels. So what might this say about the health of retail and the American consumer? Karen, what do you think? Interesting chart. Yeah, it is sort of surprising, actually. I don't know if some of that foot traffic is just sort of, you know, people have been holed up and then now they're free to go out. And so it's sort of an extra bump, uh, not just this is the new normal. But, uh, you know, I have uh, the, the American consumer sort of will never let you down. They'll always spend. But I do think, though, that what's happened has really just clarified what was happening already, which is you have to own a brand. So you have to, you know, so whether it's Deckers with Uggs or Nike or Lululemon or you have to own a brand and not be the wholesale middleman, the Macy's or the Kohl's. And I think, unfortunately, for that, those department store uh, concepts, I think that evolution is just going to continue. And so you have to be where the brands are. Yeah, Guy, history is littered with the remains of traders who have bet against the American consumer. We had a similar chart like that on Worldwide Exchange a couple of weeks ago. Most of it was outlets. People feel more comfortable being outdoors than going to an inside mall. Should you look at a name like a Tanger Outlets or some of the some of the mall properties that are focused on, you know, being outside and then just dipping into the store? Stands to reason that they would outperform. I think you're onto something there. But you know, to your earlier point about betting against the US consumer, I say it all the time. I mean, it's foolish to bet against the US consumer, but don't confuse the health of the U.S. consumer with their want to spend. They'll always spend. It's been proven over and over again. There are just periods of time where they shouldn't be. And it's amazing on a day where, again, these jobless claim numbers, you know, the market goes up on good numbers, market goes up on bad numbers. You know, at a certain point, I think we're going to realize that maybe we have a structural problem job-wise here. And, and maybe, although the consumer is going to want to spend, maybe the health of the consumer isn't what we think. So you stay with the winners. The winners have been names like Restoration Hardware, Dollar Gen, names we've talked about for a while, and I think they will continue to work. Yeah, Steve, I mean, the focus there is certainly, you know, these are beaten up names. I mean, I heard Josh Brown in halftime last week or a couple of days ago say he's buying Simon Property Group because it is so beaten up. You have a take on some of these retailers? Yeah, I think you have to stay away to Karen's point. I think people are just getting out of the house and they want to go anywhere. You have to stay away from the Macy's of the world, the department stores, the Kohl's stores. You have to stick with the names like the Walmart, Costco, like a Target. Those are the names that should, in theory, continue to perform. But it's just exacerbated this environment. Who was weak before will be weak after and might not survive. So stick with somebody who has a good digital platform, an omni-channel platform. We all know who those players are. They're sucking the air out of the room in the conversation. All right, good discussion there. And a great chart, by the way, the chart that kicks off the discussion. All right, coming up, what the CEO of Wynn Resorts is doing to make sure its most valuable employees do not throw in the towel and fold their hands and find other jobs. Later on, could beaten up Under Armour be about to pop? It is your options action we're going to hit. It could be a big bullish bet on options or Under Armour Fast Money. Back at two. 
All right. Welcome back, everybody. Well, when investors losing a little bit today and a lot this year, shares down 42 percent in 2020. But as the business claws its way back from COVID lockdowns, it is raising new red flags on growing tensions with China. Let's get right now to Contessa Brewer with more on this story. Contessa. Hi there, uh, Brian. It's good to talk to you. They're also raising a red flag here about the potential to lose valuable employees. When Resorts Today announced it will give $14 million worth of stock at today's share prices back to 240 executives. These are key employees who created and managed first-of-its-kind coronavirus policy at the company. That stock grant was supposed to go to CEO Matt Maddox, but sources tell me at his request, it's being redistributed. The Wynn Resorts is really guarding the exits here. It's a retention award payable a year from now. Wynn's worried not so much about competition luring top talent from across the strip. They're really worried about other industries wooing these professionals away with more certainty, more optimism in terms of its outlook than casinos are facing right now. Look, at the end of today's filing, Wynn mentions setting some goals for 2020, including market share in Macau. Earlier this week, though, Wynn Macau boldly declared in a filing that faltering U.S.-China relations and contentious moves to punish or retaliate hurt its prospects. For instance, the U.S. government recently announced a ban of the messaging app WeChat, which is widely used by many of our customers, Wynn Macau wrote. And we're unable to ascertain the scope of the ban at this point. There is no assurance that the ban will not adversely affect our ability to communicate with certain of our customers. When Macau warns about the impact of trade tensions on volatility in the market, contraction of liquidity in global credit markets, even that its business and prospects could be harmed by the fact that it's majority owned by a U.S. company. Its concession is up for renewal in 2022. So, Brian, it certainly would be a tough negotiating environment for Wynn Macau. You know, we always put Wynn and Las Vegas Sands sort of in competition. They are. The one name, though, that we think about may be Melco Resorts, based in Hong Kong. Could Melco, with, I think, four properties in Macau and one in Manila, Philippines, could they be the ultimate beneficiary of this? You know, it's interesting because Melco just reported earnings today. We've seen something similar in terms of loss of revenue and all that. Interestingly, though, on the earnings call, CEO and Chairman Lawrence Ho was asked whether Melco stands to benefit, for instance, from WeChat, if if uh, Wynn and, and LVS and MGM can't use it. And he said, we are a Chinese company. We're a Macau-based company. We're headquartered in Macau. We use Chinese devices. And then the COO weighed in. He goes, look, if you're not using WeChat, You're not communicating with your customers. All of our marketing, all of our communication happens on WeChat. So it's really interesting. That may not be the only advantage. If you see, Brian, the way they're positioning themselves, uh, it calls into question whether the American guys, especially Sheldon Adelson, who's donated big to Donald Trump's previous campaign for president, um, whether he becomes uh, somewhat of a target in any kind of retaliation when concessions come due. A little international intrigue in the gaming business, but that's nothing new. Contessa Brewer, great story, Contessa. Good to see you. Thanks very much. Guy, I'm told that a couple of weeks ago you guys created something called the Windicator. I see what you did there. Uh, how does this story play into all that? 
Yeah, I didn't do it. I'd love to take credit for it, but it was our crack staff back in Englewood Cliffs. They're the real genius behind this whole engine, so good for them. And good for Contessa, who an hour ago was eating popcorn out of an entirely eaten popcorn crate. I mean, she's <laughs> ambidextrous, as we say, or amphibious or one of those things. With that said, how does it play into it? You know, when, when, they, when they released the news that the Macau restrictions, travel restrictions were easing, stock went from 70 to 90 in basically uh, four trading days. Now it's back at 80. This stock has given you ample opportunities to trade, and I think it's giving you one again. This move down to 80 is obviously a 50% retracement of that move. I think you buy it here, and I think you understand the risk-reward. So I, I totally get that all the headwinds have not diminished at all. But this has been a wonderful trading stock, and I think it's going to continue to be that in the months to come. Brian, this story could be a show in of itself when you think about both the, the U.S.-China kind of trade dynamics, the WeChat and Tencent story, and where Tencent is also aggrieved and part of the Apple, uh, you know, and the Fortnite getting kicked off the, the App Store. Uh, you have a whole dynamic of just where online gaming and, 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 and gambling has become a prominent, and they've been major winners at the expense of the casinos. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of different wrinkles to this win story. I, you know, what they told you today is they are looking and they are extending out the timeline for normalization of their business. They are trying to retain uh, key staff. They are pushing out stock options that, that at least won't vest for at, you know, a year, a year plus. They had a huge debt raise today, also out of Win Macau. Uh, they raised a billion dollars. So uh, it tells you that they don't see uh, a real lifting. And I think some of these trends here in terms of haves and have-nots um, win is not a half. There's, there's no question both hospitality and gambling secular trends are not moving in their favor. I got an idea, guys. Everybody on this program right now, you heard it here first. Tim, you're exactly right. We're going to write a new show. It's going to be about a sharp-edged hedge fund manager going after casinos. We're going to call it zillions or trillions, by the way, and Joe Pesci will somehow have to have a role in it. Karen, you had some thoughts on the compensation plan side of the story. Right. I thought it was really interesting. I think it's a great thing for the CEO to do. It reminds me of Jack Jack Dorsey gave about, I think at the time, it was $200 million of his own Twitter stock to his employees. And I mean, it's an incredibly it's generous, but it's also great business. And I think the employees really appreciate it. So I think it's a really smart thing to do. All right. Good stuff there. Stock down 1.2% today. All right. Coming up. Nope. Your eyes are not deceiving you. This stock up more than 120% year to date. And the CEO of this under-the-radar booming biotech play will join us with more on what has been fueling that epic rally. And later on, shares of Under Armour getting sacked. Will there be more losses ahead for the name, especially if we don't have football in the fall on a pro level? Dig into the options pits for more on that. There's a lot more to do when Fast Money returns after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of this under-the-radar biotech mover. It's called Cytokinetics, up more than 120% this year as the company awaits results from a Phase three trial of its heart failure treatment. The name has also been a favorite among traders on the Robinhood platform over the past couple of months. And joining us now to talk more about his company in a CNBC-exclusive interview is Cytokinetics CEO Robert Blum. Uh, Robert, good to have you on the program. Thanks very much. You have a partnership with Amgen on Omicamptiv. It is in phase three trials. First off, how big is the addressable market and how are you leveraging Amgen's massive commercial infrastructure to grow that potential business? Good afternoon. So the, the market is large. Heart failure represents about 6 million growing 
uh, on that patients in the United States, around half of them have heart failure and reduced systolic dysfunction or low cardiac contractility. It's the number one reason why people in the United States over the age of 65 are hospitalized. We've been in this partnership with Amgen since 2006. Together, we've invested many hundreds of millions of dollars. We've conducted uh, over 20 clinical trials. Mm -hmm. And we're looking now at results later this year for what we hope will be the pivotal clinical trial that may support registration and marketing authorization for this new medicine in heart failure. If this is approved, you're going to be basically the second drug sort of to market in that market. Is there anything that you can do, Robert, in the phase three trials that might create a differentiation when it comes to the product label? Separate your drug from the other. Certainly. We've been at this for a long time. Nobody's ever going to accuse us of being an overnight success. We have already identified in this potential medicine a new mechanism, and we've been exploiting that biology for over 20 years. We've conducted these clinical trials one after the other in a very deliberate, methodical, comprehensive way. We've differentiated this new mechanism in the following way. Current drugs that treat this uh, deadly disease address one side of the equation for heart failure, typically addressing some of the clinical consequences. But the fundamental problem in heart failure is impaired cardiac muscle function, impaired cardiac biomechanics. Omicamp of Macarbel is the name of our potential medicine and it was designed and engineered to bind to the machinery in cardiac muscle to augment its performance, to restore its function back towards normal. And in that way, there really isn't another medicine, we believe, that addresses that side of the equation. And it's been studied in every clinical trial up to now (coughs) as an overlay to standard of care. So if this uh, trial later this year demonstrates positive results, It'll be above and beyond the standard of care and hopefully will become foundational to new treatment. Hey, it's Karen. Thanks for being on our show. Um, just reading the notes, I saw you had to temporarily pause Meteoric's uh, phase three trial. And I wonder how difficult is it in this age of COVID? Why is it so difficult? And, and how long do you think that'll be sort of an obstacle for you to overcome or any, any biotech to overcome? Yeah, so Meteoric is a second phase three study that we're conducting. Galactic is the study that we'll read out later this year. We like to think of it like rounding third base as we're heading to home for what we think can be a game changer therapy for the potential treatment of heart failure. Galactic is the key pivotal outcome study. It's measuring the potential of this medicine to reduce uh, death and hospital readmissions in patients with heart failure. Your question about Meteoric is a second trial. We did pause enrollment for a few months in that trial. That trial is due to read out next year, and it would Mm -hmm. extend the therapeutic hypothesis beyond Galactic to potentially demonstrate uh, the potential for this medicine to extend time to exercise fatigue or extend endurance or capacity for physical activity and health span in these patients. That's a second study. 
Robert Blum, CEO of CYTK. Mr. Blum, thank you very much for coming on. We do appreciate your time and good luck in the trials to all the people out there that may need that drug. Thank you very much. So, Steve Grasso, stock's been hot, and clearly investors after hours liked what Mr. Blum had to say. The stock is up 9 or 10% right now just on what he said in that interview. What do you make of the action overall in Cytokinetics? Yeah, I think, I think it's great action, but it's so binary, Brian. So good news, the stock rips higher. Flash of bad news, the stock plummets. So for the average investor, I've always advocated buying the IBB, the biotech ETF, which is up, I think, about 13 or 14 percent year to date. And you get your Amgen, you get your Vertex, you get your Gilead, you get your Regeneron. You get all the big players with deep pockets, much safer way, much more muted way to play You limit your upside, but you certainly limit your downside as well. All right, Steve, thank you very much. All right, coming up, Under Armour looking like an underdog, but options traders are betting perhaps on a game-changing breakout in the stock. We'll tell you why next. All right, one big name kind of sitting out this week's retail slash consumer rally is Under Armour, stock down 2% today and 10% in just the past week. Under Armour, though, could be a major casualty as more colleges cancel their fall sports. However, a few traders in the options market are throwing a Hail Mary on the stock. Mike Coe is in backfield in options action on Under Armour. Mike. A Hail Mary, that might be the best way to describe it. We saw more than four times the average daily call volume today, and the open interest in calls has actually more than doubled since April expiration. Where we saw most of the activity today was in the January 2021 10, 12 and a half, and 15 strike calls. A lot of that was repositioning. The one that saw the most opening activity was that 12 and a half strike call. Those were trading for about 70 cents, over 11,000 of those traded hands. And I think this is a way for traders to essentially make risk-managed bets to the upside because the options market is expecting a very bumpy ride. More than a 30% move is implied higher or lower by January expiration about five months from now. Wow, 30%. That is not small. Mike Coe, thank you very much. For more of Mike and the rest of the Options Action Gang, of course, you can tune into the full show Fridays. That's tomorrow, by the way, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, up next, your final trades. Cannabis company Cresco Lab shares down on their results. CEO's on fast tomorrow. Tim, your comment. Excited to have Charlie Bechtel here tomorrow. Again, sequentially, they grew 43% on the revenue. So the growth is there. Uh, the move into this quarter's results, I think, was just is part of the, the pullback in the stock. Uh, if you look at the gross margin, around 35% in line. I think the, the key here is profitability. This is one of the big four, call it, in the U.S., where profitability has been the story of the last few quarters. Yeah, CEO and a snazzy beard on tomorrow. Karen, kick off our final trades, please. Yeah, it's normally not my kind of thing, but I'm long Kodak puts. The stock's still up to 300% from before the loan thing happened, and I think it won't happen at the end of the day. The Kodak puts. Well, Kodak puts. Puts. All right, Grasso? BHC, Bausch Health Companies. I believe my boy Pete said there was some uh, unusual activity on upside yep. call buying. BHC, buy. Tim? XRT has outperformed the S&P by 32% over a year or 33% over, six, over three months. Stay in that trade. 
Mr. Adami. I think Lyft will get some uh, tailwinds off this announcement. November's a long time away, Brian. All right, there you go. Big stories here tomorrow, sure as well. All right, thanks for watching Fast Money, everybody. Mad with Jim starts right now. Take care. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.